This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book and is continuing the study in the epistle to the Philippians with special reference to the prize of the high calling. In comparison with Ephesians, Ephesians emphasizes what is the hope of our calling and Philippians speaks of the prize of the high calling. The Ephesian position is not won by running. It's the gift of God entirely. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world, before ever you could do anything either to merit or forfeit. But when we come to the epistle to the Philippians, there's an exhortation to run with patience the race that is set before us. And not only is there this glorious calling as members of the body of Christ, ours, and ours forever. But there is also the added thought that we may share with Christ in some measure the glory of overcoming, walking worthy, running with patience, joint heirs with Christ, if so be we suffer with him. So let us now consider this aspect, because it's just a part of the same revelation of truth that belongs to the church of the one body as the epistle to the Ephesians, Colossians, or 2 Timothy. I read this morning, because we have been considering one or two introductory um, studies in this same subject, I draw your attention particularly to the wording of chapter 3, Philippians, verses 12 to 19. Chapter 3, 12 to 19. Not as though I had already attained. Now we go back to verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now left as it is in the authorised version that is a problem. We're going to consider that, so we pass on for a moment. Now, in verse 12 onwards, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I have apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Well, if the Apostle Paul could say that, what about us? We must be coming along, panting a long way behind him, mustn't we? But he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now he addresses the Philippians, particularly in these next words. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, or perhaps you might better read as would be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us, for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, 
whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation, or better, our citizenship, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we've got now this exaltation in Philippians. It's an epistle of running. The race, a prize in view and pressing on, the basis being given by grace, the exaltation to walk worthy and run the race being supplementary. Now you notice some of the words. If by any means. Now you know more or less that expresses a little element of doubt. If by any means I can catch the train and get up to London, I would like to attend the meeting on Saturday. But you miss the train and you can't get here. If by any means. Will you notice two passages which confirm the thought that that must be resident in such an expression? Romans 1.10 I'm asking you to take this trouble because you can't have any possibility of saying if by any means I may be raised from the dead because that belongs to every believer and even an unbeliever. There's to be a resurrection of the just and the unjust so there's no idea of not reaching that. So here's something which is possible to miss. Romans 1.10 He's speaking about his own travelling. And uh, I suppose you do know that the word travail and the word travel come from the same idea. Of course, we travel with great uh, facility and ease now in comparison with our forefathers who had to have terribly rough roads and sink in mud and I don't know what in trying to get from place to place. It was a travail. And nobody went travelling for pleasure. So he says here, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you. So you see, if by any means, meant when the apostle used it, that there was a possibility of having a tremendous struggle, or a difficulty, or perhaps even being checked and stopped. And let's get another one. Two references is often a, a good idea. Acts 27. And again we're dealing with the same apostle. Acts 27, verses 12 and 13. He's on board ship now. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also. If by any means, they might attain to Phoenice and their winter, which is a haven of Crete, lies toward the southwest and the northwest. Did they get there? Well, you read the rest of it. They were shipwrecked. So if by any means, introduced by that apostle in Philippians, says, I'm speaking about something that you may lose, he's not speaking about our salvation, that's the gift of God. He's not speaking about our membership of the body of Christ, for we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. But he says there's something added. 
You can even share jointly with Christ as the overcomer. Or you may miss that. Well now you and I may say, well, we sing, not for weight of glory, enter we the army, join the warrior's psalm. Well that's true enough. But if our Saviour would be pleased if in that day we had some little gift as well as just sitting with him. I speak to those of you who have families. If one of your children come home with a prize at the end of the year, they've too got prizes, haven't they? It's you as well. And when we think that the action of those who are described in these scriptures, they laid their crowns at his feet. Fancy having to stand there and, and receive it all as a gift and not even have a small, not a half a crown, if you may put it, to lay at his feet. So, I think we should be profited by giving this Philippian exhortation a consideration and see some of the points that have a bearing upon our walk, witness and running. So that if by any means means that we are not perfectly, positively certain. Now when you look at chapter 3 of Philippians 12 to 15 again, let us it says, I press toward the mark, verse 14, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, or as many as w- would be perfect, maybe perhaps better. And uh, if in anyone you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So we have the word perfect. But if we look a bit further down, we have a, a rather different word coming before us in the next few verses. Verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an ensample. Don't think there's any difference between an ensample and an example. It's only a, a change in the English expression. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies, not of Christ, not of the Bible, not of Christians, but of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ seen not only as the means of our salvation, but of the suffering that precedes glory. The cross before the crown is the thought that's coming here. By their very actions and mode of life, their enemies of the cross of Christ. Now it says, whose end is destruction. Now that's an awful statement, isn't it? whose end is destruction. The word is translated perdition. And the word is translated waste. You remember in the Gospels, the disciples said, to what purpose was this waste? Waste. This is not the idea that a Christian, because he doesn't run the race and win a prize, will be destroyed. That's the pity of this translation. The two words that go together are either perfection or perdition. Perfection is reaching the end and perdition is failing to do so. Waste. Wasting your opportunities. Lagging behind. Stopping here. Stopping there. And so here we have an exhortation for us to keep well in our hearts and minds. In Hebrews chapter 6 we have already get, get turned to that as a parallel, we get another 
illustration of this same thought. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, again, not leaving the doctrine of Christ, but leaving the first principles, the elementary ABC. Go on. Don't always remain in the infant's class. Let us go on unto perfection. So again, you see, as Philippians, perfection, we'll have to look at that presently. Not laying again the foundation. He said that's a proper thing to have a foundation. But if any of you have been making arrangements with a builder to build you a house in these days when houses are so needed. And every time you visited him, he says, oh, he says, I, I'm, I'm putting you in a tremendously strong foundation. What is so I'm very glad of that because it looks as though we're going to have a good day. We go there next week, he's still on the foundation, and however many times you speak to him, oh, it's a wonderful foundation. The friends... You can get to a point when you're stressing fundamental truth until you don't believe it. Because strictly speaking, a foundation is valueless. A foundation is a waste of good time and money and material unless you build on it. In fact, it's a block in the road instead of being something worse. So, while we stress fundamental truth and must do, let us see to it that we use it for the right purpose that God intends. So he says here, not laying again a foundation because of these first principles. And then he gives you another hint. And I'll become such as a, a need of milk and not a strong meat. When you have a little baby, I remember seeing a picture once, I forget what it was illustrating. There's a lady sitting there with a little baby and she says, I think I'll give him a kipper. Well, you know, there are some people so absurd that they almost treat the infant believer like that. You feed with milk. But if you go on feeding with milk, you're not giving all that's necessary for the adult. So he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. But even now, he says, you haven't reached the point where you could uh, take the sincere milk of the word and profit by it and go on unto perfection. And in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 39, we get another reference that I think we ought to read together with this. 39. Verse 38 is introducing the great basic fundamental, now the just shall live by faith. He says, I'm not laying that foundation over and over and over again. That you have received, and that is true. Now then, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Doesn't say you'll lose your position as a justified one, but fancy God having no pleasure in you after he's gone all that way to put you right in his presence and his law court, forgiving you, clothe you with righteousness. But he says, we are not of those who draw back unto perdition. So we have the alternatives, you see. We either go on unto perfection, or we draw back to perdition. And as I've already explained to you, that the word perdition is the word which is translated waste. It's not hell fire for the believer, but it's loss. Nothing but leaves. 
the spirit grieves over a wasted life. So here we have the exhortation. Now the next thing is, what are we to understand by the word perfection? Well, it's built up on a word which occasionally is not very perfect. It's the word tele. Now a telephone, or a telegram, or television, they've all got the same element about them, but they're certainly not what we would call perfect. You get wrong numbers, you get something collapsing or whatnot. But what's the word tele mean? It's the word that means the end, or it means distance. You see, telephone is, you pick up something and you speak it to somebody four or five hundred miles away. Tele. Television, same thing. There's something being photographed over here and you're looking at it over there. Tele. So it's not perfection in the sense of getting better and better, but it's going on to the end. Is the race course again. It's all very well to start. But it's the one who comes in at the end that wins the prize. And if you slack and you give up, you lose. So you see, perfection doesn't mean to say that you're going to be one of those people who are so high and mighty that everybody else is aggravated by them. He's one that is sticking to it, but running with patience the race set before him. Tell it. Supposing we look again at um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, just as another little corresponding passage. It's the only way to learn the meanings of these words and their bearing. Galatians 3, 3. He says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? See, you can't begin in the Spirit of them, perfected by the flesh, it must be the Spirit's work right the way through. So he's warning them. He says, remember Esau. You remember in Hebrews, remember Esau, who for one morsel of meat swapped his birthright. Oh, how many Christians have done that, friends. And what a grief it must be to the Son of God to see another one for whom he died just slacking in the race that he set before him. He'd have eternal life and he'll be there accepted in the beloved, but he'll have to stand back and he'll have nothing to lay at his feet. What a regret that will be at the beginning of glory, won't it, friends? And the apostle says, oh, I want you to go on. I want you to go on right to the end and not end up in waste, because that is a bare, tremendous, difficult possibility. In case you wanted the reference, Matthew 26, verse 8, is the very word perdition when they said, what purpose is this waste? Shall we now turn to the Gospel according to John for two references. The 17th chapter. John 17. Of course, this is that sacred chapter where our Saviour is in prayer with the Father.
excuse me, yeah. The 17th chapter and the 4th verse. Here our Saviour is speaking to the Father. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. You see the thought, the same word that we're considering. He didn't say I've glorified thee on the earth by speaking this and saying that, but I finished. They couldn't stop him. When the time came for he set his face to go up to Jerusalem, he knew the time had come. He finished his course and glorified God as a consequence. In the chapter 19 of the same gospel, verse 30, this is our Saviour now on the cross, a very solemn moment. Verse 29, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon the hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. Here's your word perfected. Now he said, gave up the ghost. Everything that had been written of him in the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. He came to do the will of him that sent him and he went right through to the end. That's the point. He didn't make a wonderful beginning and then peter out. But he bowed his head, gave up the ghost. It is finished. And that's the spirit that you and I should covet. Not that we want to die on a cross not that you ever shall do what he did, but have the same spirit of having begun going on unto the end. Penny, finish, touch the tape at the end. Suppose we just look at 2 Timothy for two references. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7. Again, this is Paul writing. We're very much indebted to him in his witness. 4.7 speaking about himself to Timothy he says I have fought a good fight I don't think he meant to say he put up a big show but he says whatever I've done it's been a good fight we're in a good fight friends because you see there are some who have been enlisted in an army and they're obliged to take arms but their heart's not in it because they begin to feel well, we're fighting against the very principles we believe to be true. But he says, not so with me. All this has been a good contest. This has been worth it all. And goes on to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. The word course is a race course. The Apostle uses sporting terms. I, I don't know whether... You were listening to the fight between Cassius Clay and that. I don't understand much about it. I don't, haven't got the means to know. But I know that some people were all agog because of that. Well, one passage the Apostle says, I buffet my body. And the word he uses is hupopiadzo. 
And the, this is the part which is the eupopiadzo. I give myself a black eye, he says. He gives a sporting ring term. But he says, I'm not fighting the other men. It's this one I've got to look after. I've got to keep him in right subjection and keep him running with patience the race set before him. It's good to look after our brother, but let's look after ourselves in the first instance when it's a matter of this race and crown and persistence and finishing the course. And so we have, that's in 2 Timothy 4.7. And again, while we have 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It is a faithful saying. Don't forget he's encouraging young Timothy first and we come in second. He's encouraging him. It is a faithful saying. For if we died with him or be dead with him we shall also live with him. And that's irreversible. If you have been associated with Christ in his death there's nothing on earth or heaven can stop you sharing his life in the glory. But that doesn't say, oh, we'll sit back then and take it easy. Oh, he says, wouldn't you like to please him who has given you that glorious position? So he goes on to say, if we suffer, if we endure, if we share in any sense the curse or the shame of the cross, oh, that will be recognised as well. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. So you see, it's one thing to be with him in the glory, and it's another thing to reign with him. That is an added prize. And then he goes on to say, if we deny him, oh friends, it's so possible, isn't it? You think of Peter. He denied him. And then he went out and wept bitterly, and died ultimately for the truth that he denied. Oh yes. There's not one of us that can say, oh, I shall never deny him. You wait and see. As the days draw nearer to the end of this dispensation, and as the last age comes and the Antichrist begins to dominate the earth, little chapels like this will have pressure put upon them that you can't imagine just now as you sit here in peace. If we deny him, He would have to deny us the crown, but he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. We shall be with him, but there will be that little element of disappointment. And you will find that the apostle is speaking about himself also in chapter 4. We have looked at chapter 4 when he says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I think I I refer to that again because it's very wrong or impossible for you and I to exhort somebody else to run with patience. The race and you're slacking yourself. There's an example about this, friends, that we help one another because that one who's flagging a bit and sees you persevering will take heart and continue by the grace of God. So we have a responsibility in that respect. And so, ultimately, we come back to the word vile body, you remember? This vile body. Now, that is 
not quite the use that we should use the word vile today. Uh, you wouldn't say a village is a vile place. It might be, but it was somewhere that was not quite so respectable and gorgeous as a city. And a villain was one who worked on the land. He wasn't a wicked person. And the word vile has taken upon itself a little more repulsive meaning than it did in the year 1600. And this is the word humiliation. Humiliation. So let's substitute that in our thoughts. Who should change this body which is associated with our humiliation. Keeping low down here. Losing some things down here that another person gets. Not being envious of the riches of somebody who denies the Son of God. This body of humiliation is only for a time, friends. And then comes, oh, what a change. What a prospect. Then comes the body of his glory. So this epistle to the Philippians is a very precious supplement to Ephesians. A person who lives all the time in the opening chapters of Ephesians is likely to have a spiritual swelled head. But if he lives sometimes in the glorious teaching of Ephesians and then corrects it a little bit sometimes with the searching teaching of Philippians, he will then be standing upright. Because, you see, if you push one side only, you'll go over. But if you push two sides, you'll most likely stand up. So we, take, we thank God for giving us these two epistles. Our glorious calling, and then a question of what are you doing about it. Or may I ask you to just keep these thoughts in mind. We've still got to go on and consider further about this out-resurrection, out from among the dead, which we haven't been able to explain. But I think that's as far as we can go this morning.